0: And Councilwoman Price, I want to welcome you to the podcast for the first time. I appreciate your, your incredible patience throughout this, I know, frustrating process of technology. But here we are. We're going to get it. We're going to record this Dagon podcast, and we're going to release <laughs> it for all the world to hear. So, Councilwoman, welcome for the first time on a minor detail podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Ryan. I'm really honored to be here. I was starting to think that it was me, and that you know the world or the state wasn't destined to hear from little old Talbot <laughs> county.
0: No, well, before we be, we began, Talbot County, of course, has a very special place in my heart. I was married in Talbot county. I was engaged in Talbot county. I've had some of the greatest memories of my life over in Talbot county and it started out in St. Michael's, started out in Easton, I I attend, I you know what, I was telling you offline the other day, I think I spend most of my disposable income over in Talbot County, and folks like yourself and my friend Len Foxwell and many others, they say, all right, when are you moving across, when are you getting the heck out of Gaithersburg, you and the wife and the kids, and just setting up shop over in either Easton or or St. Michael's, or somewhere in between, and you know what, every time I get stuck in traffic, I'm closer, (laughs) I am closer and closer, Councilwoman, to just moving the heck over across the bridge, and, (laughs)
1: and speaking of bridge, oh my goodness, I mean, the traffic's only going to get worse, but the subject of our conversation is not the Bay Bridge crossing tonight, but, but. Kerwin, but I, I've also told you offline that I'm really looking forward. We like the fact that you spend your disposable income here, and we need you to move here because we got to pay for Kerwin, and I think that your whole salary will pay for Calvert County share of Kerwin. Mm, maybe not.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> how much money do you think I make? Um, <laughs> um, that's just well, a
1: minor detail, isn't it?
0: Oh, that's good. I like it. I You're on top. Salary. You are sharp. Um, Councilwoman, so before we get into uh, the crux of our conversation, which, of course, is Kerwin, otherwise known as the Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education, and we're going to talk all about how it got started, what it means for the state, about the work group meetings, and then the funding, and then how it's going to affect the local counties. And you're going to speak a little bit about your position as a MACO representative, but first, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your political background, and how you got started in Maryland politics.
1: Sure. Um, I am an Eastern Shore Talbot County native. My, um, my parents grew up in Caroline County, so I've pretty much lived here my whole life, left for a little while, lived, lived in Hartford County for a few years. When, when I got married to my husband, um, we spent three years in Colorado, but we've been back here for 17 years raised our children who are both college graduates now, so I have that behind me, woo-hoo. And um, about 10 years ago, um, as a sm- small business owner, I had um, some people approach me and ask me to run for office because there wasn't anybody else on the county council who, who signed in the front of a paycheck, um, and that's an important representation to have. So they twisted my arm real hard. It, it, it didn't take much, and I, I ran for council for the first time in 2010 and was honored to be um, uh, elected to the council and just got elected for the third time last year in uh, 2018. And it has, um, it's, it's been really great, and what has really enhanced this whole position is, is getting involved with NACO. Um, We see so much of the partisan politics at the federal and the state level, and I have really learned through my um, time with NACO that at the local level, the D and the R just really don't matter at all when we go up into legislative committee, which I've been doing now for the last five years, along with being on their board of directors and now an officer with the organization. Um, You know, we leave that partisan hat at the door. And you might think that that sounds cliche, but, but we really do, and the big counties, the little counties, and every county in between, um, we really do sing from the same songbook, and we finish each other's sentences, and we all have the same issues, just on larger scale and smaller scale. And it's, it's just an incredible group of people. The staff is top-notch. And I, I couldn't be happier to to be such an integral part of, of the state and the legislative process mm-hmm. without actually having to be an elected official for, you know, being a de- delegate or a senator. I think we get a lot more done um, as an organization. Uh, the legislators, we you know, make does by any chance, get everything that we want, but we do have a very – Strong voice and if legislation is going to be really bad you know in some ways we can make it better and we have a lot of suggestions uh, and I am glad that the, the legislators you know do listen um, that's not enough well
0: councilwoman I- councilwoman you you've uh you've reached the the point of in uh, as your tenure as a as a county councilwoman you're uh, is, is it's my understanding, you're, you're the president of the council is that correct
1: no um Oh. That's, you know that's, that's voted on by the the councilors themselves, and I've kept myself so busy with MACO that I'd, I'd rather put my extra time and my extra focus into MACO. Um, it doesn't really serve any additional purpose to be you know president of the council. Um, it's just a, you know a lot of extra paperwork and, and whatnot, and we all or have was it that you case. were the
0: or was it you that you were the top vote getter? Well,
1: that yes. And that I'm okay. really honored because that's, that's what, you know, that's what the citizens said. And it's, it's pretty cool to run three times and move up in the standings each time. Um, it it shows to them that you're listening to what they have to say. I mean, what a concept, right? Listen to what right. your citizens say and they'll put you back in office.
0: That's right. And so where I come from and where I hail from, my native county is Washington County. And they have this sort of interesting way about doing business that, Apparently, if you're the top vote getter in Washington County and the county uh, and on the county-wide level, they have a commissioner form of government, then you will you will then become the or the uh, the county commissioner president. So a little mm-hmm. bit different, but nonetheless, right. here we are today. Mako for anyone who is listening doesn't know the acronym Mako, M A C O with a little O. It's the right. Maryland Association of Counties. And it's an organization that is based out of, that they're primarily headquartered over in Annapolis, and the sole function of Mako. It's a nonprofit. It's a nonpartisan organization. And I would be remiss if I did not mention the Conduit Street podcast. Um, Kevin and Michael do an excellent job, and I want to give them a shout out. They're personal friends of mine. They they talk about uh, Mako issues in depth, but. MAKO, it serves the Maryland counties articulating needs of local government um, to the Maryland General Assembly. And so MAKO is made up of and it consists of county elected officials and representatives from Maryland's 23 counties and, of course, Baltimore City. And they set policy. They have a board of directors. And you're part of that board of directors. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. Okay. And what is your role with MAKO?
1: So, five years ago, they asked me, or I am the legislative representative, and there is one legislative representative from each county and the city of Baltimore. Um, in the case of, if you have a county executive and a county council, then you then you have two, but you only get a half a vote. So, the, I think the best thing about Mako is the fact that it's one county, one vote. It's not based on population, which is what makes Mako work. And... So being a legislative liaison for Talbot County, but also having been asked to be on the board of directors, and there are 16 members on the board of directors, and we get a little bit more into the the structure of the organization itself, and then there are six officers, president, uh, first vice president, second vice president, secretary, treasurer, and a past president who make up the executive committee and we get it even a little bit more in depth as far as the organization and making decisions on, you know, employees and, and budgets and things like that, which budget should be my middle name because I really am a numbers nerd.
0: Well, I like so that. Just- and so councilwoman, of course, the board of directors, uh, Barry Glassman, who is the current County executive of Harford County is the president of MACO. And this past August where you and I spent significant time having conversations at places um like secrets <laughs> we mm-hmm. talked a lot of and here we are we're you know at the the governor's event there and i'm bouncing around between different events and we're talking about policy and it's really the perfect place because of course um secrets uh i never expected myself to be honest with you councilwoman price i never expected myself ever to be talking public policy as it relates to uh Kirwan spending and funding uh, at secrets when I was there, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, several years ago with, you know, two or three or four of my best friends, and as we're probably consuming way too much copious amounts of alcohol and sitting out all day, and I just never expected myself to ever have an a in-depth, intelligent policy discussion at Secrets in Ocean City, Maryland, nonetheless, during the MAKO conference. So this conference held last month, it shed a lot of light on local county issues, the the conference was held at the Ocean City Convention Center. Always a great place to have a conference. The big takeaway, at least from my my perspective, and maybe yours is similar or slightly different. The big takeaway for the conference was counties concerned about funding Kerwin. So I think this is a good segue right. into our primary discussion. And Councilman, we continue to hear Kerwin, 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 and there was a poll recently taken by Goucher College, and there was a staggering number of Marylanders who aren't familiar with what Kerwin is. They hear it repeated, or they read it in the news, or hear it on television, on local news, but they're just not quite sure what it means, and what it's doing, and how it affects education. They know that Kerwin has something to do with our our state's education system but they're just not quite certain what it does. So first I'd like to shed some light Councilman, on what it does. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that you can, you can add in uh, your perspective, but I always try to do with my show a who, what, where, when, and why. And the who of the Kerwin commission, uh, the commission is a group of educators and lawmakers known as the commission for innovation and excellence in education. It was named after the former university of Maryland chancellor, William Britt Kerwin, the commission was created by legislation in 2016, and it was formed to make recommendations on improving education across Maryland. It's a 25-member body, and the sole purpose is they are working to rewrite Maryland's current education funding scheme. So, Burt Kerwin was chosen to lead the commission by the governor, the Senate president, and the late House Speaker, Michael E. Bush. The Senate president had his choice to pick a few of, um, of state senators, including Senator Mary Beth Carroza, Bill Ferguson, Nancy King, and Paul Pensky, and the late speaker appointed, uh, Calman Hedleton, Adrian Jones, Ann Kaiser, Maggie McIntosh, and Alonzo T. Washington. And you can go online to the Maryland Manual online. That's msa.maryland.gov, and you can search for The commission on education uh rather innovation and education and uh excellence in education and it tells you every single member who is part of this 25 member board just in case you were wondering and so what this commission does is brings together representatives from all across the state to review the findings of the study of adequacy of funding in education for education in maryland And to hear from national experts on world-class education systems, this has already taken place. And the commission was set up to make recommendations for improving education in Maryland through funding, policies, and resources that will prepare Maryland students to, of course, meet the challenges of a changing global economy, to be ready for college and post-secondary education and the workforce, and just simply to be successful students and citizens in the 21st century the groups meet in Annapolis and they have several breakout work groups as well and i want to make this important notation that the commission presented an interim report in january of 2019 that you could that you can also read on msa.maryland.gov a preliminary report was presented in january 2018 and a the initial interim report was presented in January of 2017. Councilwoman, did I miss anything? That's pretty much
1: it. They they broke that down into policy areas, um, which I can expand on that. Uh, what I will say first is that currently there is $13, $13 billion spent on education per year split evenly between the state and the counties. And this new uh, recommendation is supposed to add up to a, just under $4 billion. It was broken down into five policy areas once they started doing their breakout, and I can highlight real quick what those are. Thanks. Number one was early childhood education at a cost of about $814 million. The second area was high-quality teachers and leaders at $2.8 billion, more resources for at-risk students in poverty, which is $2.2 billion, and college and career readiness pathways at $150 million, and then governance and accountability, sadly, only $2 million. So if you did the math on that, that's a $6 billion, and so you might think, well, where are they getting $3.8 billion? Um, they... They do think that there are some cost overlaps and certain things that as you bring a certain group of students up that you won't have to put as much resources maybe into special education or whatnot. Um, I'm personally not real sure how they're going to come up with $2 billion in savings when you have, you know, the teachers um, at 2.8 and the at-risk students at 2.2 and then pre-K at $800 million. I, I don't know how you come up with $2 billion in savings, but that's a whole other Uh, Conversation that the legislature
0: will have to figure out. Well, and it's a great point, and we're going to go into that. And again, the bottom line of the Kerwin Commission was to re it's a redesign of the public school curriculum, the raising of professional standards for teaching, and a redesign of high schools. So it's a fundamental overhaul of our education system, and the commission met and heard from leading experts, and they compared the, uh, our school system with, I believe it was four other states, and moreover, uh, the commission calls, as you say, it calls for a massive increase in state spending on education, and so we are here today. There is a work group for state funding formula, and that was named back in June, and there's 13 people that meet over, that have met and are continuing to meet to review the new state funding formulas for K K through 12. And we keep hearing this number. You said it was almost four billion dollars. It's 3.8 billion dollars. And I want to make mention that during the Mako conference, w- county officials and I, we all talked about how it's going to affect the county's budget. And I think it's important to note that the governor made a speech the last day on Saturday, which is traditional, that that governors do that, that they usually unwind some sort of policy proposal. And the governor was quite clear in his ideas that he is not going to raise taxes. He will not raise taxes to fund this, what he is calling... He had referred to it as a some half-baked policies, and he had also had said that, look, he's, he's not going to – I think he's dubbing it as the Kerwin tax hike. And, and you know what? I, I, I understand it, and, and we're going to get into some of that. But really what tonight we are doing is analyzing what this commission does, what some of the recommendations are, and your perspective from the county side – And the concerns that we're hearing across the state from county leaders who are saying, look, we support these recommendations. We support the mission. We support the work of the commission. But taxpayers are coming to us and saying, how are we going to pay for this? And are there going to be tax increases? What's going to happen? How are we going to be able to fund this? And Councilwoman, I, I just wanted to brief review with you. Some of those recommendations, they, the commission recommended that we have free, full-day, pre-kindergarten for low-income three- and four-year-olds. They want to raise standards so all students are ready for college or a career upon graduating high school. And as you mentioned, uh, there is a work group, and they discussed it. one of the recommendations is establishing a strong accountability system to oversee the recommendations And so in addition, yeah.
1: That barely made it, though. I mean, it's just when you look at the the cost breakdown. And that, I think, is what Governor Hogan's main concern is, is there's not enough accountability. Um, You know, counties are stuck in the middle of this whole debate over accountability, too. And if the state passes a new law that says each county must, as in mandate, as in you don't have a choice, pay a share of all these new programs, where is there any accountability for the school boards? So, for example, if our county's parks and rec department isn't doing a good job and they're not performing, we can cut their budget or we can move money to a different project. But if every penny of the school budget is mandated by the state, what role is there for the counties anyway?
0: Well, that's a – for for everyone who's listening, who I'm sure is astute to understand how state and county funding works, um, there's a, there's an acronym called MOE, or otherwise known as maintenance of effort. Laura, do you want to explain maintenance of effort?
1: Sure. So back in 2012, um, there the, the legislature, while they were also debating the teacher pending teacher pension funding shift to the counties at the same time, and we never dreamed that we would get both. But there were some counties who, um, and there's a foundation number, and I can, you know, we can talk a little bit later about foundation, and, and, and that's the one number that we have seen is what the foundation number is going to go up, uh, go up to, which is the base level of funding for every student, no matter what, before you have add-ons for free and reduced meals and areas of poverty or special education or various things. And maintenance of effort is a law that was passed that said you must fund at least as many dollars per pupil as you did the previous budget year. So if you funded $10,000 last year, then next year you have to fund at least that much. But what they also put in was a five-year rolling average, and they're going to look at the counties that are below that state average. And so if you are not at that state average, then you automatically pay an escalator of up to 2.5%. So as the bottom 12 counties get on that escalator ride, then they go up and then someone else falls behind. So it's kind of like a hamster on a hamster wheel, that it's, it, it's constant. You No county you know, one county might start to catch up and then another county falls behind because it raises the whole average. And so, um, you know, there are counties that, that end up increasing by millions every year, um, whether they need it or not. And so, again, it's, it's an accountability thing. We're never looking at zero-based budgeting. And that very same year, they also shifted uh, a large portion of the teacher pensions over to the county, which then also got it added in to maintenance of effort. So it was, it was a huge increase. And I don't, you know, in, I've been attending all of these funding meetings, even though I'm not a part of this work group. I'm just going and being a cheerleader for, for Barry Glassman, who's there all by himself, because there's only one county representative on this work group. And honestly, on the entire Kerwin Commission itself, only two. Of the 25 members, for county elected officials, and yet there's this assumption that we're going to get half the cost. That the costs are going to be split, maybe 50 50 with the counties.
0: Let's um, talk again. Sir. Let's just. Okay. I just want to touch back again on the recommendation, so we understand. So anyone who is listening understands what it is that that 3.8 billion dollars would be accountable for, and what it would sure. be spent on. And we're looking for more money, so the council is looking for more, rather the commission is looking for more money for schools where many students live in poverty. They're looking for transparent governance and accountability, which is ironic considering that they went into closed session uh, uh, about a week, <laughs> half, half ago. They're looking for more. <laughs> yes, and I want you to speak to that in just a moment. They're looking for more resources for at-risk students better teacher training, higher salaries for teachers, better college and career readiness. And again, full, full day education for three-year-olds and low-income households, universal pre-kindergarten and for four-year-olds, which would add up to a price tag of roughly $3.8 billion. And of course, again, they looked at other school districts around the country and they studied, uh, they heard from many experts, they I believe they looked at school systems, um, was it Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and two others, I believe. Maybe one was Connecticut. But
1: but Ryan, they went out of the country and they kept hearing from a gentleman who kept talking about Singapore. And they're not, you know, some of these other countries where they had these best practices, they don't deal with the same things. They don't have the poverty issues that we do. They don't have... Um, people coming from other countries that don't necessarily speak um, English. So we have the ELL program. So, you know, really they weren't ever comparing apples with apples. And they identify their students in countries like Singapore much earlier, which ones are going to go on to higher education and which ones are going to go into the workforce. So, you know, I have a very good friend, uh, Bill Valentine, uh, who – who was on the curling commission until he was term limited out from Allegheny County. Um, And he would, uh, we have weekly phone calls about it that he's like, what they're talking about isn't just isn't doable in this country. Um, So it just really wasn't a fair comparison.
0: I want to, Um, I'm glad you mentioned Bill Valentine because (laughs) And he had written a, a letter that was printed in Marylandreporter.com, and mm-hmm. it's on School Funding Work Group. And he, an opinion piece is entitled, School Funding Work Group is Stacked Against Counties. And the, the, the premise of Bill's piece is that only, only two of the 13 members of the, the funding group will be representing county interest, including Hartford County Executive Barry Glassman and uh, Rich Madalino. Um, who's now Montgomery County's budget director, a former state senator and a 2018 gubernatorial candidate. And he said that he wrote that a large financial burden will be placed on the counties to help fund Kerwin commissions proposals. And yet the work group consists mainly of state senators and delegates Mm -hmm. and education representatives. The counties will be tasked, he wrote with funding these new unfunded mandates without an equal voice at the table and he wrote that he's greatly troubled by the makeup of the work group. Um, what do you make of that? Do you agree with that? Is that, does that, is that a cause for concern?
1: Uh, oh, I do. And the other thing is um, that Senator Steve Hershey told me that they had asked for at least a, when they picked some um, legislators to be on the Kerwin commission, they asked for at least one Republican and they didn't get that. So it had you know, it is also partisan and, and you know, again, we don't, want to be partisan you know at mako or on this call or anything but if you're going to have equal representation obviously we needed more county representation and we needed legislators from both sides of the aisle um, because you know they, they they do vote differently
0: but the councilman there's some heavy hitters on this commission there's uh especially in the funding work group of course rick kerwin and Glassman, and um, we're looking at people like Matt Gallagher and Sean Johnson, who's the assistant d- executive director of the Maryland State Educationist Association. Rich Madalino, Al- Alvin Thornton. You know, of course, mm-hmm. everybody. Sure, Doctor yeah, yeah. Thornton. Well, that, you, uh, sure, yeah, Doctor Thornton. Sure,
1: that le- that legislation. You know, that they when they last time they tried to overhaul education seventeen years ago, that was passed, but with no funding source. And, Correct. You know. Lightning strikes again. It's, they're doing the same thing. So far, you know, the, the current commission has been meeting for almost three years, and they have not shared even a single piece of paper showing how it would work. So we, the county, but really everybody, are left guessing how this is going to go. And now Hi. they've added two more work group sessions, and they still haven't shared a single piece of paper.
0: That's a great point, and I'm glad you brought that up because that leads us into the next portion of our discussion. Is that all based on all of these recommendations? And of course, I had, follow, I, I had followed this commission. I think somewhat closely. I'm sure there's a lot more that I could learn. Admittedly, I did not attend the meetings, but I did. I have been following uh, the, the the conversation and the recommendations. I've read the report, and I would encourage anybody that is listening who is listening to Read the report. Read the commission's actual 2019 uh, interim report. It's called the Maryland Commission on Innovage, Innovation and Excellence in Education interim report, January 2019. And look, if you can if you can make it through 243 pages, <laughs> good, good. You should. And and this will really lay out what Kerwin is doing. Now, it's hard to argue, and I'm going to just. Talk a little bit about the politics. I think it's difficult, councilwoman, to argue anyone to make the argument to say, "Oh, we don't need this. This is not something we need." All of these issues are majorly important. Now we can disagree over whether we think three-year-olds should be in universal pre-K. Personally, my kids, I don't think I'd want my three-year-old in, in universal pre, and this is the time for them to be at home or in another in learning environment. But that's our decision. That's, I'm not saying that has to take place on, on behalf of any other parent. This is my wife and I's decision, how we want to educate our kids. And Well, let,
1: let me say what one flaw might be with it. Okay, so when we start talking about teacher pay, there's a minimum base salary of $60,000. But did you know that that applies to pre-K teachers? now? I mean, yes, I'm with you. I was able to stay home with my children, put them in, you know, something that was a couple hours a day when they were three and four years old. And so did my wife. Right. Not all parents have that luxury. But really, do we need to put a pre-K teacher on the same uh, certification as someone who's teaching our elementary, middle, and high school students? So, I mean, I think that's something that's really blowing up the cost. And these teacher's, they all, aren't all going to fit in our school systems in in our school buildings, so we they know that they're going to have to use private daycare providers, churches, other places like that. But all those people are going to have to get certified to teach three and four year olds, and they're going to get the same pay as someone teaching our kids that in high school. So I, I, you know, so when a, you think about a, the recommendations, could they have got accomplished some of the same goals? but not without as much expense. So that's just one it's, example.
0: It's a salient point, And I think that most Americans, I believe, agree that teachers should be paid more for the fruits of their efforts. It's not an easy job. We all can, that, that is readily apparent. Teachers go so far above and beyond. And we're very lucky in Montgomery County where our kids go to school to have some of the best schools really in the state of Maryland and I'm, I know that as we are very hands-on parents, we are actively involved with our kids' education. Education doesn't stop in their classrooms; just as the same as with your children, it it, it mm-hmm. they they're educated at home. We're constantly reinforcing their, with their teachers. We have a great relationship with our teachers. So I, I'm just speaking parenthetically, but sure, we can't argue. We 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 can't argue that. That Maryland schools need to be upgraded with not only some of these recommendations as well as the curriculum, but there's somehow in every discussion that we have, it's partisan politics that takes center stage instead of actually focusing on the numbers, the funding, and the recommendations themselves. And so uh, what I've been witnessing, and I'm sure you have as well, because it, uh, we, we read social media. I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm on Facebook a lot. And I see people you know, blasting the governor. I see the Maryland Democratic Party releasing email blast after email blast to their network to, to blame the governor for failing to shortchange education, blaming the governor for this, this and that. And that's fine. I understand that position because the governor has taken a firm position that he is not going to raise taxes. But we, lost, we lose the real, I would say, the, the real meaning behind this commission when, it, when partisan politics has overtaken it. And we see these back and forth tweets between state senators, Republicans, and Democrats. And education to me is so obviously nonpartisan. But the legislators down in Annapolis who are going to go back into session in January, Councilwoman, I think it's fair for all of us to say, hey, look, you support these recommendations, in a sense many of us do, but every single legislator should be put to the task of explaining how they will pay for the cost of Kerwin. That is not an unreasonable question. It is not a ridiculous question, and I, it's not even a ridiculous question to ask the Maryland Democratic Party who's releasing email blast after email blast that targets Governor Hogan for his position on Kerwin to say, hey, listen, Maryland Democrats and Maryland Republicans, but Maryland Democrats specifically, you guys support this this Kerwin Commission funding. Okay, great. Tell us how you're going to pay for it. Taxpayers want to know. How, how
1: about I give you a uh, Reader's Digest version of – how um, the wealth formula works and about what the average property tax rate is and explain Break. how the governor, of course, he doesn't have to raise taxes because guess who's going to get to raise taxes and it's going to be all put on the counties.
0: Break so it down, Councilwoman. It, Break it down. All
1: right. This, this is where I, I, I go to town. So the wealth formula, so you would take um, property tax accessible base, which is about two thirds of the formula, and you're net taxable income. And you add those two numbers together and divide by the number of students in your school system. And that is where you end up getting the wealth formula. Some counties, um, and full disclaimer here, you know, some people might think, gosh, why is Talbot County on here talking about wealth formula? Their tax rates are far too low and and they're just rich and, and they should tax more. So I, just, I should have given the disclaimer at the beginning of this um, call in that I am here to represent NACO and the 24 jurisdictions as a whole and not Talbot County. So, you know, a county like Talbot, though, we pay 75% of the school's total cost um, and the state's only picking up 25%. And a, and a county like Caroline is the complete opposite and everybody else kind of falls in the middle. But you have to look at it as, as a whole. So, and the... Property tax rates. Okay, so the counties have two major revenue sources that make up about 85% of our total funds. Property and income tax. Twelve counties are already maxed out at 3.2%. So you pay a state tax and then you pay a county tax on your when you're doing your income tax on April 15th every year, because everybody I'm sure is doing it at the last minute. 12 counties make up about 68% of the population, so they already maxed out at 3.2%. An additional seven counties are at 3% or more. So we actually have 84% of all Marylanders paying 3% or more of the income tax rate. So I think that we can all agree that there is very little, if any, room for us to fund Kerwin through an income tax increase. We get some recreation and transfer taxes on real estate, but that's really um, just a very small drop in the bucket. And so the rest of our revenue comes from property tax. Um, There are five counties who have a uh, revenue tax cap Paul, is one of them. Um, you mentioned maintenance of effort earlier. They did pass along with that maintenance of effort law in 2012 that any county that has a revenue tax cap or a tax cap, golly gee, we're allowed to break our tax cap to fund education. And um, counties have done that. We've done that. So the average property tax rate throughout the state is $1.05 per $100 of accessible value. If you include your town tax so if you live in a municipality, um, that average rate goes to
0: $1.19. And
1: I have this stack of hundreds of pages of uh, handouts from, from this summer from uh, the Wealth um, Funding Formula Work Group. And one of the things they passed out was that every county added just a penny. To penny to their property tax rate, how much would that bring in? And it brings in seventy-five million. You think that's a lot? Well, gosh, but we're on the hook for two billion dollars. So you've got to multiply that seventy-five million not by one penny, but by twenty-six cents, which is you know twenty-six. This is a twenty-five to thirty percent tax increase on your property tax. So if the average person is paying a dollar nineteen and you're going to add 26 cents onto that that's what we're talking about that's what governor Hogan's talking about but he has no control over the property tax so,
0: so I, you know, I, I, I just want to real quick jump in and I want to say in fairness that there have been a couple of articles one that recently was written by common Hedelman in the Baltimore Sun and it entitled, Maryland Leaders Have a Moral Responsibility to Fund Kerwin. And back last year, or I'm sorry, earlier in January, there is a think tank that pushes tax reform, and you might know about this, as an answer to funding Kerwin. And this organization called the Maryland Center on Economic Policy, they published a report outlining the ways to change the state's income tax, corporate tax, and sales tax in a way that would generate $1.9 billion annually by 2030 while limiting the damage (laughs) to the pocketbooks of low- and middle-income Marylanders. Now, in fairness, the Maryland Center of Economic Policy is a self-described, I guess, the liberal organization. And so the commission, they broke down its funding recommendations of changes in the tax code that would primarily affect business businesses and wealthy residents and they said that would generate 560 million dollars and they said that changing the state sales tax to include a tax on services and online services councilman, which would generate 460 million uh that they say that that figure would partially be offset by an increase by increased tax credits for lower income families and then Another bullet point of their proposal is restructuring the state's income tax to lower tax rates for low- and middle-income residents while raising rates at higher tax brackets. So they want to reform the, the tax system. Now, another uh, – Ms. Common Hedelman, whose letter said that we have a moral responsibility to fund Kerwin's price tag, the $3.8 billion – and he goes on you – know, they talk about the real issue is whether elected officials will have the political will to do so. Well, you know, it's not necessarily the political will. It's just that do we have the money, and, and that's the point. And we have to be able to find real and, uh, I guess, it, authentic ways to raise capital, and, and it's – and this – he argues that tax measure measures could substantially boost revenues. Now – I keep hearing from supporters of the plan that they keep reiterating the point that legalizing of recreational marijuana, um, restoring the millionaire estate tax and sports betting and some sort of carbon tax is going to be able to fund Kerwin at its current listed price tag. Councilman, what do you make of that? Is that that even – I mean if we legalize marijuana in the next session and – of course, Kerwin will be phased in over 10 years, okay, the, the funding, that is. It, it would, would recreational marijuana be able to cover the cost alone of, of Kerwin's price tag?
1: No, no, it wouldn't. And, you know, you've got all kinds of other issues. I mean, you can you can debate that issue, but there, when you do that, there is going to be other uh, factors that come into that, and, and it's not going to be pure profit, let's put it that way. But, you know, the state – might think that through their natural growth in revenues, despite the economic downturn that's coming, and you know, future spending does outpace their future revenues, and shifting from other areas that they can pay their $2 billion, you know, the state does have the ability to raise new revenue, you know, in the form of the casino revenues or the recreational marijuana, which will be on the ballot in 2020 and, and probably pass. But that's their half, and if you know, if all along the process, you know, the state leaders have seemed really committed to doing all these great things to the schools across the state. And I'm not sure why we're, taking, we're all taking for granted that this has to be funded by the counties at all. Why should it be funded by the county government? If it's that good of an idea and the state has a plan to bring everybody along, maybe this should just be a state plan and let them pay for the whole thing.
0: Councilwoman, should legislators be asked? Is it responsible for citizens to ask of their fellow legislator of the uh, in the general assembly, whether it be one of forty-seven or a one one of one hundred and forty-one, how the hell we're going to pay for this? It seems like it's 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 a tough question for many of them because I haven't gotten responses. And as a journalist covering state politics, I have to ask these questions, and which you would think, okay, tell me exactly, break it down for me, how much I'm going to have to pay out of pocket over the next 10 years or how, whatever the formula calls for.
1: Well, what's interesting is the formula actually was supposed to be front loaded with about 80% of these costs in the first three years. And the Telegraph. From the legislators in Annapolis, oh no, we're not going to raise taxes to pay for three, three and a half billion of this in the first three years because you couldn't do it through those other options that you just talked about because they would take time. So they have said no, this needs to be over uh, the you know true cost over ten years um, and not front load it. If they thought it, all of these things were such a wonderful idea, then maybe you know they would they would have a little more courage to say, "You know what this is going to cause us to have to raise the sales tax another penny, or we are going to restructure, and all of the people would be behind restructuring the tax okay
0: plans. i I, I want to bring that up, and it's a perfect point. Why won't legislators tell us that we're going to have to raise taxes what?" What's the why won't the they
1: tell us? Because uh, as a county representative, as I explained before, our really only go-to thing is the property tax. There's no room and income tax. We don't have other other taxes that we can we can sh- share or create. So half the cost, unless the state wants to take it on all of themselves, and I'm all for that, is going to be caused. By a property tax increase on average of about 26 cents, give or take, depending on what county you live in, of of every dollar 19 that you're paying, that you can take pretty much. You could take that one to the bank for at least the county share of it, and how the state decides to pay their their two billion dollars. Um, you know that's going to be up to the legislators, but it, it just seems like they're not identifying specifically what they're going to do for their half. You know, the the entire conversation. Um, I, I gave you a couple of quotes that I've heard this summer, and and then I'll and I'll mention one at the end. One, you know, legislator asked what is their capacity, meaning the counties, what is their capacity to contribute to education funding? What's the capacity for locals to pay? Some local decisions are artificially constraining revenues, as in what tax rate. Um, One asked, you can't currently change uh, the property tax rates based on the value of property, and how could the legislature change that? So not only are you talking about possibly having a progressive income tax now they're asking questions about how you could have a progressive property tax. Um, an educator said, Maryland has the means. I'm an educator, not a politician. Um, one said, this one's kind of cute, we have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. We've heard that one before. Yeah,
0: but throughout any have.
1: discussion, yeah, without any discussion you know, at all, they said there's been no discussion on how to pay, the state is going to pay their capacity. The only discussion since June and I've been to like six meetings is how are the counties going to raise revenues and what's their not how they're going to raise revenues what's their capacity to pay so there seems to be a belief that county as a county, rep-
0: that- as a county mm-hmm. representative councilwoman let's break it down to the constituent council person relationship are you hearing from your from folks that you represent from those thousands of thousands of wonderful Talbot County residents, are they concerned about what's going to come out of their wallet for this plan? Are you hearing any, what are you, I guess, what are you hearing on the ground?
1: Um, well, 75%, 70% of people in state of Maryland don't even know what Kerwin is. So I don't think they know what's about to hit them. And I'm doing everything I can, you know, Makers doing their podcast every week. Uh, thank you for having this podcast tonight. Um, I've been writing articles. People have been writing articles. We're all trying to get the message out there. For those who have heard about it, and I, yeah, sure, they're very concerned. And, you know, in, in a county like Talbot, which has the highest number of retirees in the state of Maryland, they're going to vote with their feet, and they're going to leave. So Maryland has a tax problem. Maryland is one of the highest tax states. Um, People don't want to retire here. And, you know, Hogan has tried to attract people here. He's trying to attract, you know, open for business. Um, And you're trying to attract other companies to come here so that we can increase our revenue. But if all this comes along with this, you know, massive tax increase, which there's no way around it, not only are you going to maybe cause people to leave, but you're also going to have a much harder time attracting anybody to to come to the state to live here.
0: So let's talk quickly about the the, the funding work group. You have been attending these sessions in Annapolis, and the the work group is it's technically an informal group, and yeah, you know, it's been acting like a public body. What yeah. do you make? What do you make of the decision for the Kerwin Commission to go into closed session, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago, to begin hashing out these funding formulas?
1: Uh, that was interesting because they started out with the, um, the premise that they had spoken to or that they had a ruling from Attorney General Frost. And then someone asked if they had the piece of paper, you know, the letter, the letter, no, didn't have that. So it was, it was a more informal conversation and you're right. They have acted like a public body. They checked on a technicality. They are, they are not. Um, And there's a way to talk numbers. I mean, we've had, you know, any county council has work sessions in public where we have a sheet of paper with numbers in front of us and we're able to have that discussion in public without, giving away every single number so as not to confuse the public as, as Chairman Britt Kerwin said. Uh, you know, Numbers huh. are confusing and someone will take that out of context and they'll just go crazy with it, especially on social media.
0: Um, How can I you confuse the public? How can you confuse the public when they don't know what the hell it is? I mean, it's... Right? I mean, you, you, you mentioned the poll earlier. There's mm-hmm. an v- overwhelming vast majority of Marylanders who as we both have said, are not aware of what Kerwin is. So, you know, Councilman, is it a shock to you that the commission has been, you know, look, this commission has been out front and pretty pretty transparent. I think we both can agree to that. I'm, I have been impressed by the way that they have handled it. It's been conducted professionally. But even last week, Prince George's County Board of Education Chair Alvin Thornton, Dr. Thornton, he objected to closing mm-hmm. the meeting. And I, I, I think that for anybody who is a uh, an advocate for fair and open and transparent government, that this would have been uh, a, a major impropriety for a commission who has been otherwise out front and center. And I've asked some of the members of the commission, "What do you think about this? Why did you do it?" Or I've asked some of the legislators, and they blow right past that. They won't. They don't want to talk about it. And but process matters just as much as the outcome. If People have to be able to trust the process. And we know, especially in this day and age, that everybody is very skeptical of government, reasonably so. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. We're, we, we see it today that people want to feel a sense of connected – to have that connection to the process. And if they go into closed session and to talk about funding, that that's – the aesthetics of that to me, says it's probably not the best public relations strategy. And so, well, I, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, um, when they were having the conversation before they did close vote to go into closed session, County Executive Glassman, who was our one and only MACO representative, asked if he'd be able to take the papers home with him. And, and by home, he meant home to the MACO office so that MAKO could look at some of the different formulas that they wanted to talk about. Not that MAKO is going to release it to the public. And he was told no. And that's what, you know, and only what he could remember in his head. And he's there as a representative to our organization that represents all 24 jurisdictions in Maryland. So that was troubling that he couldn't even take, you know, the, the spreadsheets, the sideways pieces of paper back to our Mako office so that we could run our own numbers. So I, I don't know. I don't think there was a whole lot said um, or done at that particular meeting, but, I, you know, they said, oh, we will only make decisions in public. Well, if you start with 10 spreadsheets and you only come back to the public with three, you did make a decision to eliminate a certain amount of information. You did make some decisions um, in private. But um, nobody's really talking about um, – what
0: went on um, a couple of weeks ago? Well, like, yeah. it doesn't Why, look good. <laughs> who, who was to, who told County Executive Glassman, uh, who is the president of MAKO, know that he could not take the formulas back to the MAKO staff for analysis? Who who denied the chairman. that request? The chairman. So Dr. Kerwin said no. County exec. Did he give a reason?
1: He, he he didn't. It was really just a no, and I think everybody has covered that. I mean, the reporters that were in the room kind of went a little crazy interviewing people um, afterwards. Um, oh, they was. Yeah, I mean, David Brinkley, the you know Department of Budget Management secretary. He's the one who objected. Um, Barry asked the question, uh, Dr. Thornton, and then the other um, woman from one of the other boards of education who ended up. It was an eight to four vote. I think some one person was absent, um, but really it was only a few people talking, um, and so when I, when I saw the raising of hands, I was really surprised that, that four people voted against it, and and, and, I, went, and I went up to Dr. Thornton you know, afterwards, and you know, I hadn't met him before, but I thanked him. I said, because I think transparency was, was really important, and he believed that there was a way they could have had the discussion in public without giving away every single number.
0: What's coming down the pike? Councilwoman? What, are, what can Marylanders expect in future work groups? And when is the finalized report going to be submitted to the legislature and the governor?
1: So there's going to be two more sessions. And I, I will say, really, there's been almost no decisions made. I mean, it, and while this group has been very transparent, most of the time has been spent with Department of Legislative Services Rachel Hyde and APA, the consulting group, briefing this group on all the work that the Cohen Commission did for two and a half years, so that they understand what came before them. It really wasn't discussions on possibly a whole new formula. There was never anything thrown out there like everything's going to stay the same. Um, They've been kind of spoon-fed the information. Well, this is this is the premise we're going to go on. There's no radical. Changes. I mean, I think everybody's expected, um, I'll steal this line from one of the previous NACO podcasts, was we all expected revolution, and then we thought there'll be evolution, and basically we're down to expect nothing <laughs> as far as changes in any formulas. Um, so we'll probably see those actual sideways pieces of paper, as Michael Sanderson from NACO likes to say, on um, October 8th. And they've added that session and they've added one more on October 15th where they'll make their final recommendations to the full Kerwin Commission um, who may or may not listen to those recommendations. They'll have their own ideas. And then they'll make their recommendations before legislative session to the legislature who may or may not take those recommendations. They may do what they want to do. And that's, you know, I think the likelihood is that the legislature's going to figure out, um, you know, how much they're willing to, Um, Raise taxes, or or how they want to roll this out, and which priorities, which things are going to get funded first, um, if anything's going to get eliminated or scaled back.
0: So, taking this full circle, this legislative upcoming legislative session, it's going to be, I think, a barn burner. I think that Mm -hmm. it's going. Kerwin will be front and center on all of the legislators' minds. This will be, I think, the number one most discussed item of policy. I am going to be following it closely. You're going to be following this closely, especially as a county official, because look, at the end of the day, you have to go back and depending on what the funding formula state and whether this is passed in the law, you got to look your constituents in the face and say, I did all that I could I could possibly do, but your taxes are going up and this is how we're going to do it and this is when we're going to make it happen. And yeah, as we an elected have
1: a choice.
0: And as yeah, and as an elected official, you know that's not an easy discussion. It's not. And you have a group of engaged Talbot County citizens. I know that and here in Montgomery County, look Maryland's in an an activated and engaged place. Now, some of these numbers in the latest poll do concern me that people aren't familiar with it, but then again, it is P- legislators have an obligation to, I think, in part, run a public relations campaign to explain what's on the docket. For instance, today is October 1st, 2019, and here we are where there's a bunch of new laws that went into effect.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think there's people I, – I talked to several people today that said, hey, I was at this convenience store, and there were signs up that I kids couldn't buy cigarettes until they were 21. <laughs> and I said, yeah, they're like, well, we didn't know anything about it, and I'm thinking, well, how are you not paying attention? That's been it's been all over the news. It was a big ticket item during session. So, but see, I mean, you and
1: I are po- you and I are policy wonks, and we follow this stuff. And and the average person doesn't. They don't. You know, newspaper circulation is obviously way down. People don't read that. Um, they get sometimes they get misinformation on the internet and they're really just trying to live their lives and keep their heads above water. They're not following this kind of stuff.
0: That's fair. I I agree with that. And I have to remember that I'm, you and I are probably, uh, uh, I I don't want to sound elitist, but I think we're part of the minority here that I'm, I'm an active news reader. I'm an active social media news follower. And, and I write, look, I write the news. I, that's, what a minor detail does. That's what this podcast does. My job is to stay up on top of the news so I can break it down, and people who may uh, just want to listen to what's going on can tune in and can hear little old Laura and Ryan talking about this. So, Laura, I think we've had a a long, successful discussion about what Kerwin is, the funding, uh, I guess I, I would call it some of the concerns around the funding, but I'd be interested to hear more of the legislators release of their personal plans to fund this. I, I really hate to. I really hate to think that 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 it would be turned into a, a partisan weapon. I don't want that to happen. I I hate to see you know the Republicans and the Democrats releasing these email blasts, and they they just want to attack the governor. Or they just want to attack the other side. Yet. We're losing out on the real discussion is the financial discussion. We always have to bring it back to the numbers. And, you know, the Maryland Democratic Party is welcome to release whatever email that they want. But I do believe it is incumbent upon them. It's an obligation of them to break it down and say, hey, listen, this really isn't about politics, but this is how we are going to pay for it. And I think it's a a, a profoundly uh, unpopular sentiment to discuss it's a profoundly popular idea to talk about tax increases it's hard sell it's a hard sell to marylanders and but we've got to be honest with people that's why that's why i press some of the legislators and that's why i press you know the chairman of the maryland democratic party who I, they I'm not there they know that um that i'm going to keep asking questions and they are not my biggest fans it, it doesn't matter but it just all comes back to what's most important for Maryland taxpayers, people like you and I who are going to be footing the bill for this, this, these education recommendations, and we deserve to know. We deserve not to be BS. I don't want to be sold something. I just want you to tell me how much I'm going to have to pay and how you're going to do it. And Legislators can champion these plans all that they want. Great. They're excellent recommendations. Sure. They did the work. The commission did its job, and you can – it makes for great politics because how really do you fight fight back against education? Well, then again, if you're Governor Hogan, I know that he is – I think he's using what was described in the Washington Post as dark money to raise money to combat some of these, I guess – the 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 I I don't know how to describe it. What's the best way to describe it? I mean, I know he's using some. <laughs> I know he's raising money to push back against some of the what he thinks is um, misinformation about maybe disinformation about the Kerwin funding, and that's political fodder for his partisan opponents. And I understand that, but look. The governor came into office promising that he's not going to raise taxes. The governor came into office promising that he's going to be a fiscal watchdog for Maryland's taxpayers. And so far, I think he's, he's kept up his end of the deal. And that's just a fact. And so here we are today. And if there is a will to pass it, great. Just tell us how you're going to pay for it. And I'll let you have the final word. Well,
1: I'll just say you were talking about coming full circle. And so let's Let's come full circle back to the MAKO Summer Conference which in, in August. And there was a sense in the room we had a, a session that was titled A Perfect Storm for County Budgets," And because we actually do things in the, in the conference center, not all at Secrets, right? And the panel talked about the looming structural deficit in the state budget. And those types of things often turn into cost shifts for the counties you know for example the loss of highway user revenues and i could go all day on that where we lost 90% of our funding the teacher partnership which are yeah we're, the teacher pension shift and the also the obvious potential for a recession that almost all economists are predicting and then there's the idea of billions in new mandated county spending on top of all that i mean that conversation really has set things up for both dr kerwin and and company talking about their goals, but then the governor and his warning about the huge price tag. And that was, you know, the biggest topic at conference, you know, in August. So, yeah, all your county electives are talking about it. They they need to really stay engaged and know all of these gritty details. I mean, I, I'm just a glutton for punishment to, to sit through it, but I'm glad that I am because, I do understand it. You know, two of my, my, my boys, they graduated from, from high school, um, public high school in 2013 and 2015. Now they're both college graduates, um, and I'm done with that. But, you know, I started in elected office with the kids in the public high school. So education has been something that I've really followed and, and what worked and what didn't work, you know, just as a mom. You know, sometimes I take off that county council hat and put on the mom hat. Um, so it's it's been a good perspective. Um, and I, I just hope people really pay attention and you know, sometimes they see numbers and their eyes glaze over. <laughs> but but it really isn't that hard to understand if you just say, Yeah, I'm I'm not, I'm not gonna get too confused. I've I've written a lot of articles, I wrote a lot of stuff over the legislative session last last year, the different things that NACO's following. Um, and I'll continue to write. So, you know Follow Ryan. Hopefully he'll post a link to my Facebook page because I I, I write a a lot of things too and and try to write them in ways that average Joe taxpayer can understand because it's important. And you mentioned that poll. Well, the poll said that 70% of all people are willing to pay more for education. Okay. Maybe they think a penny or two, Um, but they don't, I don't think they realize it's 26 cents on their property tax bill. So, you're right. We need to know how much is it, how are you going to pay for it, and then you, you, you take that poll again, and you still, and then you see, is it still 70% that we're willing to pay this much, or do, they want, do the citizens want you to scale it back? And ask them what their priorities are. Ask the parents what the priorities are um, in getting the best bang for your buck. We might not be able to do everything. We need to look at this as a buffet and pick the things
0: that are really going to make the biggest impact. I I, I I agree 100%. I'm going to continue to talk in depth about the Kerwin Commission, about the work group funding. This is an important topic that we're going to cover. Look, $3.8 billion education recommendations that can fundamentally overhaul our state's education curriculum. This is also vitally important, and having, having two students in our public schools now, these these recommendations, the decisions made by legislators and this commission directly affect how my kids will be educated in Maryland public schools. Um, and I know that you're going to be the watchdog on the ground over in Talbot County and from Mako. And I really appreciate you coming on and having this in-depth discussion. And for anybody who may have glazed over during the numbers portion of our discussion, I get it. Look, I, I really, really get it. But it's so important that we understand the percentages of, yeah, it's, it's sort of wonky to sit here and talk about property taxes, but um, these are kitchen table issues, right? Councilwoman. I mean, this is why you ran for office is to be a steward of the taxpayer. And, right. and to make-
1: no, no matter, no matter whether you're a Democrat a Republican or an independent, you want whatever tax dollars, that you have to spend to be spent wisely. And I don't think there's anybody who would want um, waste in government, that we want it to be spent in the best possible way, no matter what the price tag is, just make sure we're, again, getting that bang for your buck.
0: And to quantify it, to make sure that we, that not only are the recommendations, are that yes, they're important, but how, how do we quantify that? How do we measure it? We always mm-hmm. have to be able to measure this progress. And we'll, I think in a different show, we can talk about where we have spent money in the state of Maryland on education versus our return. And that's, that's an even bigger discussion. And then we can go into some of the, the curriculum issues that I find to be really interesting. So Councilwoman Price of Talbot County, you do your service. Um, you do your service well. Your constituents are Thank lucky you. to have you down there. And as you said, this is nothing to do with partisan politics. Democrat and Republican, independent, whatever. Throw it out the window. This is about good governance. This is about responsibility. And this is about tal- being straight with people and being responsible with with people's money. That's what they elected you to do. That's what uh, your constituents hired you to do. And I appreciate you coming on. And I know that this was a uh, a prolonged discussion, and I'm I'm sure you're tired, and I'm tired. So
1: um,
0: <laughs> now we'll I go ahead and
1: get this get this thing uploaded since we couldn't go live. And
0: you know, I know I'm so sorry. If
1: I if I made if I made a boo or whatever, you can edit you can edit it right out. So, but uh, looking <laughs> looking forward to listening to this once you get it uploaded.
0: I think you'll I think both of us will will certainly be interested in the feedback and this is this is a this is one of these wonky shows that I really love doing and it's important education is the number one issue on I I think most people's minds in state government especially if they're an elected official
1: mm-hmm. but
0: we have to be able to find out a way we have to figure out a way to fund it and we'll leave it at that councilwoman Price, thank you so much for coming on on a Tuesday night. I really appreciate yeah. your time. Sorry about the other night, but uh, we will we'll keep chugging along, and hopefully we'll get this thing uploaded here soon.
1: Sounds good, Ryan. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: You bet. Thanks again.